Cassino Berry, Sean Moriarty, Gina Giovanetti, and Brian Moriarty. I, w- I want to ask you a question, but I still want you and Sarah to get together and do the thing that we talked about. <laughs> um, because I feel like it would just be enhanced. But I, I, I want to give you a platform that's public to, to, to release your umbrage about the movie that is Winchester. So... First of, all, first of all, first of all, before you start, I love the vocab word of umbrage. That yes, is, that is wonderful. That's why the character in Harry Potter was named that. Oh, of course, I loved all of like the subtle things that they so did good. with that. It was wonder- great. Um, all right, what's well, my word of the day? Calendar. So. Oh, very nice. I I have a ridiculous amount of grievances regarding the recent Winchester movie. Um, First and foremost being, like, it it was just a run-of-the-mill, basic-ass two hours of jump scares, which, in case you have not picked up on, like, why I have that velociraptor fear, um, I don't do well with jump scares, you guys. Like, I, it's not a thing that I do. They do nothing for my anxiety. I don't fucking need this in my life um (laughs) and my my mom and i wanted to go see it because you know we we live relatively you know close ish to the winchester mystery house and there's so much wonderful rich history and i'm a sucker for local history and the house itself is so beautiful and the tours i've been on are absolutely incredible and what did they do they took the house like the cool dope house and the name sarah winchester and that was about fucking it like did you even take a tour sparing brothers i i'm so mad about it it's also like one of the like ultimate like there might be a, yeah this is a little bit of a spoiler but like ultimately a lot so there's a fair amount of the conflict that revolves around there's a main spirit that's trying to take over the house and the the it, it revolves around this spirit being vengeful because it had because it was it was a family of three brothers and two of the brothers died on the battlefield fighting for the Confederate Army in the Civil War. And just a little background on the like why the Winchester Mystery House was built. I'm not going to do a whole thing on this. Just really really quick. Um, Sarah Winchester, after you know she moved out to San Jose, she spoke to a psychic who said, hey, the spirits of all the people who died are uh, at the hands of a a Winchester rifle are going to come after you. And that's why she was constantly building to confuse the ghosts and kind of give them places to kind of stay without necessarily being able to find her. Now, moving on, they do shitty storytelling, shitty lore establishment that does not even have a follow through in this film based on what they establish. Also, if you are going to then like the whole thing is this particular spirit is vengeful because his two brothers died fighting for the Confederacy and were killed by Winchester rifles. First of all, I have no sympathy for the Confederacy whatsoever. No. B, the Win- <laughs> the Winchester Rifle Just Company no. did not even exist during that time. It did wasn't even called the Winchester Repeating Arms Company until post-Civil War. The rifles that were used in the Civil War were predecessors to the Winchester Repeater, but were not Winchester rifles. So that lore is already fucked over and just... I I told you, Dave, I think Sarah and I both need to do it is I just I want to just grab a bottle of wine and like one woman or two, if Sarah would join me, drunk history, the Winchester Mystery House, and then also complain about this movie it, it, because you know, I'm so mad about it. 
Yeah, no, understandably so. And you know, the thing is too, I haven't seen the movie yet, but I've taken the the garden and the house tour a couple times. Have you done the one where they go into like the garage and the cellar and Absolutely, stuff? Absolutely, yeah. Oh, so good. Those those are amazing, and you learn so much more about the Winchester estate at that time. So yes, there is the the weirdness of that you know, the superstition that she kept building the house to confuse the ghosts and everything, but. You know, I love Helen Marion, but she's not anything close to what Sarah Winchester would have looked like. Sarah Winchester was like 4'10". Yeah, she was a tiny, tiny ass woman. woman. <laughs> she was arthritic. That's why she, That's why all the steps in the house are as small as they are. Yeah. They, so, they, like, the movie does some lip service to the house, but, like, I also expected more out of a Helen Mirren performance than, like, an emo geriatric Morticia Adams. Right. And it's also, <laughs> like, she wasn't... Whoa. She wasn't... And she wasn't... <laughs> The thing is that the Winchester, sorry, not sorry. There's this kind of misconception that the Winchester Mystery House was this like, well, I'm this, you know, dowager heiress to a Winchester fortune who's building this house to appease the ghosts. The Winchester estate was a functioning orchard. Yeah. And they sold and they cultivated dried fruits and nuts, which to me is fascinating. Yeah. And she paid every person at the end of every day because she didn't always trust her workers and that way she knew that she could be they could be paid up and there'd be no there'd be no like for them to stand on if she decided to dismiss them. Um yeah. like there's lots of things about her like neuroses that I find really fascinating and that would be a good historical drama, not a horror movie about right. And the his, even house. and I mean, if you wanted to do the horror thing, it could even have been like a psychological thing, where it's like, do the ghosts actually exist? Are they a figment of her imagination, or is this like a point of historical um, umbrage to use that word again? In that, also like mysticism was super trendy at the time, which is part of the reason why she called a psychic. It's the same reason why at the beginning of The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy goes to see a fortune teller. Like that's what was trendy at the time. And, spiritualism, yeah. Yeah, spiritualism, mysticism. It was all, yeah, it was it was trendy. And so a lot of people really played into that too. And especially for that era to have Sarah Winchester have so much money and still be able to operate, you know, the orchard and everything and do all of these things independently. It was very easy to discredit an independent woman by saying, oh, well, you know, she's crazy, though, too. That crazy Sarah Winchester. Um, and, you know, a lot of the, the, the there's a lot of evidence with the house, too, that like, yeah, there were certain things that like, you know, she was a little neurotic about, like maybe the number 13 and that sort of thing. But like certain things, too, is she just maybe also had an interest in building and architecture and just wasn't trained in it so she'd be like well i want this room or i want that room or i want this up here but oh well we already built the staircase but we can't actually put the whole room there just seal it off and we'll put the room somewhere else kind of thing and so it's a lot of this is ba- you know and a lot of the, fa- the fact i'm giving you is based on i've taken their tours like three or four times because I fucking love it there. And that's part of the reason why I'm so angry. And then there's also a really great book called uh, Ghostland by an author called Colin Dickey. And Ghostland, um, he each chapter focuses on a different... Um, a different place of like historical haunted note. So the Winchester Mystery House is one of the chapters. Um, House of the Seven Gables is one of the chapters. And he kind of talks about how these locations sort of owe themselves to mod- to the, the creation of modern mythology, where in the House of the Seven Gables, there's like a rando staircase in the middle of the house. And the woman who owned it was like, oh, I don't know what the staircase is for. Oh, what, what, what could it be? Oh, you know, it turns out she added the staircase and 
and was trying to like play up the the mystery of it for for kicks for shits and giggles and so a lot of the creation around the lore of the winchester mystery house is also perpetuated by word of mouth by modern mythology and how we we create our own mythology and by you know the the social goings-on of the day and age and how they develop over time and so now that i've gone on that rant um we should probably actually get into what our topic is well, I'm so sorry. Thank you that for giving. Thank you for giving me that platform, Dave. And I, I apologize for going so long. At some point, I do still hope to oh, drunk history this if I no, have you're time. Fine. But you're... I, I do appreciate you guys. Thank you very much. No, and we appreciate you, Gina. Gina, <laughs> you are the best thing that happened to this podcast since Roxy came on board. Oh, thank you. You, you, you bring a level of intelligence and humor, um, and just. Just, just your presence here is absolutely well appreciated. Thank you, Brian. And you, you bring so much to the show, and you are a fucking delight. You know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, okay, so you know what? Ten minutes of the podcast wasted. No, 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 no. <laughs> Ten minutes of the podcast enhanced by you ranting about how awful the Sarah Winchester movie is. Thank um, you, Brian. And I what a fitting that. way to continue a rom com episode. <laughs> <laughs> By talking about things we hate. I can I can try to... So, segue is people, you know, there, there was a certain level of, you know, anti-feminism and being kind of against women, which is why so many men also today have a sort of want to divide themselves away from the romantic comedy. <laughs> right, there was there an go. attempt there. Bam. And on <laughs> that note... Exactly. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Nerds on Film. I am Brian Moriarty. I'm Gina Giovanetti. And joining us again, as promised, is Dave McGuire. Yeah, I keep my promises. A Lannister <laughs> always keeps his promises, or something <laughs> to that effect. That is not what it. <laughs> that is the, not at all what the quote is. But is that on it? No, no. Oh, it's a uh, Lannister gosh. always pays his debts. Yeah. Oh, but they also keep their promises and they're always <laughs> punctual. That's the uh, the rom com version of, of, of uh, Game of Thrones. Is Lannisters are always punctual. Like that would be their line. Oh my god! If wow papa Could, d always keeps someone, his promises someone now needs to take all of the footage from game of thrones and cut <laughs> do do a cut trailer of a rom-com but it's gotta be unfortunately it's gotta be jamie and cersei it's oh, gotta God. be that's their that's or <laughs> oh no Forbidden oh, no. love, or, or found I mean, in family, and again, spoilers. It could be. I mean, you could also do Jon Snow and, and Daenerys. It's still incest, guys. Yeah. So you know, like, you pick your poison. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's no like actual love in that. That's like between a a, a man and a woman that are not related. Um, the main love storylines are people who are related either uh, by brother and sister, or in the case of Jon. And Daenerys, which if you haven't seen it, it's been like a fucking year. Get over it. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and to nephew. I mean, yeah. who doesn't love stooping their aunt? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is an awkward silence. <laughs> um, right. Uh, All right. So segue oh, no. out of that. Um, you know what else I love stooping? Uh, so love I'm just curious. And, do we want to co- oh, No, I was going to say. So. How do we segue? I'm so, sorry. do we I think love Dave's transition of you know what else I love? Stop it. Um, I, I was gonna say, uh, so, uh, do we want to talk about Harold and Maude or no, no. Harold? <laughs> no, um, okay, no. Oh, anyway, God. um, so last episode we talked a lot about 
tropes from uh, romantic comedies and also kind of their history and origin, right? And mm-hmm. we went a lot into Shakespeare, went a lot into formula and a lot of stuff about, you know, the 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 the, the stupid shit that we wish would go away, like the, the whole lie-based yeah. uh, formula and so on. What we're going to do this episode is we're going to continue on that string of logic, but this time we're going to talk about highlights, I think, of movies that we personally identify with or <laughs> don't identify with. So, um, I did a lot of complaining at the beginning of this. I cannot complain for the rest of it. No, no, oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to complain too. No, no, uh, no. We, we've just like, warmed what? up the dragon at this point. So let's, I, I want to poke it. Like now. movies that I, like rom coms that I hated. Um, well, I try, I watched a bunch yesterday. And like, wow, Wedding Crashers is a funny movie. Like, there are some really good lines. Like, what makes it funny to me is the the sort of frat pack, you know, um, uh, 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 improv dialogue. Like you can see, like Vince Vaughn really working it. You can see Owen Wilson, the cameo by Will Ferrell. Those are all great moments. But as a movie, it hits on a certain thing. Um, <clears throat> what the thing is is that it it it, it as a story, it doesn't. It's just it's terrible because they they like we said in the last episode it's all predicated on a lie they're not who they say they are uh, they're um, they, they they have to continue the charade and then like a lot of the humor that's based around it is like absurd humor like they, there's that whole dinner scene where it's like okay so he pours the visine into the guy's drink which you should never do in real life because that can like lead to some serious fucked up shit to that person um, there's the weird brother who's like this tortured soul who is also gay but that's like the joke is like let's call him homo because that's funny um the grandmother who's like going off on this tangent again about homosexuality about uh what's her bucket uh uh, eleanor roosevelt being a a a, a, what is it a carpet muncher i think is what she calls it and it's just like they just throw these like really weird and like things you would never hear people say because it's taboo and it's like, that's the funniness, that's the humor. And it's like, sure, I remember laughing about it when I saw it for the first time. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe they said that. But, like, they're still saying it, and it's just sort of like, that's not funny. Like, you could find other ways to be funny, and that just sometimes is not that funny. It's um, like, it, it was like they were trying to lampoon the Kennedys in a way, like this mm-hmm. affluent. Because it was a cat. Yeah, I, I just, it, was it was like a Kennedy-esque, yeah, yeah. Kennedy-esque well, company. Well, and... I, I am going to bring something up because like when I saw like the ads for Wedding Crashers, there's a certain there's a certain level of like humor in it where like I didn't look at it and think that's a romantic comedy because I think what we discussed in the last episode, too, was that um, when you have a romantic comedy, the, the formula is, yes, there's comedy, but all of the comedy directly comes from like the romance part of it. And so there are certain movies that I look at that may involve a romantic aspect but is this a comedy with romance with like a romance subplot or is it a romantic comedy so like if I look at something like Bridesmaids just because it has Kristen Wiig hooking up with the the British cop but Chris O'Dowd does that make it a romantic comedy or is it a comedy with a romance subplot yeah, good good call. That's a very good I call. I think that's a great point because I think a lot of these that are on the or like a lot of romantic comedies like like they classify and I love this movie to my core. I think it's it's just so funny and very fast-paced and witty, which is America's Sweethearts. 
Um, mm. It really doesn't become a romantic comedy, like a romantic comedy in that traditional sense of guy finds girl, loses her, and then has to get her back again until like midway through the second act, right? Like he and Julia Roberts, or um, sorry, um, no, John Cusack and Julia Roberts don't really get together and have that alone time until well into their time at the junket. And then like their sort of togetherness is very brief. Their fight happens shortly after that. And then their reconciliation happens again immediately after that. So like they throw the romantic comedy elements in there very, very much at the end. And like everything else leading up to it is just a lot of backstory and buildup about Gwen and, um, and Eddie and like their relationship and like getting them to the junket and having them go through this together and so on and so forth. And they sort of string along this idea that they're going to get back together or he at least thinks that's what's going to happen. And it's like, it's still a funny movie, but I don't know if you could say like, yeah, that's a romantic comedy because it doesn't, it, it bends the tropes, but it also like feels that they, they, they're just throwing it in there. I would argue that America's Sweethearts does fall into the uh, genre of romantic comedy, but it's it's a rarer scene one. Mm. It's the I'm gonna try to get my ex back. That's the best way I can say it. Version of a romantic comedy where most of the story is a is a head fake toward the main character trying to get their their previous partner back, mm-hmm. and then realizing oh no, there's this other person who is actually way better for me. It's the same overall formula as Forgetting Sarah Marshall, and I think mm. Forgetting Sarah Marshall absolutely qualifies as a oh, romantic yeah, comedy. Yeah. Um, it just is done, I think, in a, I don't want to say in a smarter way. way. It's done in a more co- a covert way. Um, right. Yeah. An interesting fact, Billy Crystal wrote that movie. and he, yes, wrote, he did. And he wrote it for him to play the John Cusack character back in oh. the 80s. But because it took 10 to 15 years to get made, uh, it ended up having to be recast with another actor. So, here I so in that... In that essence, like, would something like Princess Bride be classified as a romantic comedy? Or is that just like, it's it's a fantasy story. It's an action adventure story. It has romance in it. But if someone were to ask you, what's your favorite romantic comedy? Would you be able to say Princess Bride? Like in the same way that people say Die Hard is a Christmas movie? Like is right. is Princess don't, Bride... Does Princess don't Bride... say that, Gina. That's going to piss Brian off. Yeah. I'm not... Okay, like... I'm not trying to like don't come at me or Brian with that, but I'm it's it's a it's a it's a comparable way like you know if if you know is Princess Bride a romantic comedy? Right. I would love to say that it is, but I know that it isn't. I mean, it it is in the in a very very abstract sense because it's one about a grandfather teaching his grandson about true love, mm-hmm. and yes, the comedy is all formed out of the circumstances of these two lovers who have been separated and end up coming back together. Mm-hmm. But it does not follow any of the tropes of romantic comedy that right. we, that we, and all, it follows more of the tropes of action, adventure and fantasy. So mm, kind of, but not really, not really, not really. Uh, I think if we're stricking, sticking strictly to what we talked about last episode, it can't qualify for that so, reason. like, what I'm hearing you say about Princess Bride is, like, this film will have everything. <laughs> Action, adventure, R-O-U-S's. What's that, you ask? A rodent of unusual size. Okay, so first of all, you, first off, you sound like Stefan <laughs> from Saturday Night Live. Yeah, that was the point. Oh, my God. <laughs> wait, 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 here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. Here we go. Oh, 
Okay, ready? 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 ready for this? Yeah. You ready for this? Okay. LA's hottest new nightclub is called Florin and Gilder. It features <laughs> it features a princess stuck in a cage, a man in black who's half paralyzed, and an R.O.U.S. What's an R.O.U.S. You ask? It's a little person in a rat costume who goes around and tries to mangle people. <laughs> Club owner is. Pirate swashbuckler Dandy Patinkin. <laughs> <laughs> Who comes around and says, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. <laughs> it's also co-owned by a six-figured six man that may or may not have killed your father. <laughs> uh, Princess Bride is a perfect movie, you guys. Let's just let it let, let that ride. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we yeah. We, 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 we did no I can say authoritatively we have covered that episode in the past. Oh yeah, I listened to it. Oh my god, to to Blave. Um It's a great book too. Yeah, it, it is, yeah, a very great book. Um no, that's a whole other okay. Oh, I could, yeah. you yeah. could get me talking about that and we would just it would be a repeat of the episode we did. Five That's fair. Um, so let's not do yeah. that. <laughs> some other good ones that are in the lexicon, like Some Like It Hot, which I think everyone here has seen, right? I've seen bits and pieces yes. of it. My Yeah, Some Like It Hot is a great, is an example of like good farcical um, rom-com because, you know, and I mentioned it in the previous episode, but I'll repeat it again here. Tony Curtis, Jack Lemmon, uh, they witness a mob hit. They are being chased by mobsters, so they disguise themselves as women uh, and join a jazz group and they're musicians in real life and so they take that musician you know prowess and they put it into um <clears throat> becoming these women and they fall in love with marilyn monroe and it's farcical because like they're dressed as women and so like men are hitting on them and that's what's funny and they both you know have this you know thing for her um for marilyn monroe who eventually falls in love and, and gets gets together with tony curtis i think they did a play about it called um sugar sugar um which is essentially the exact same premise. There's nothing really different. No, it's it's, um, it's actually, it was a musical written after the fact, and it was based entirely off of the script for Some Like It Hot. In fact, there is literally lines with the same dialogue mm. uh, in it, um, just with musical numbers interspersed in between it. So Right. Um, yeah. Which is a great one you should check out. Another one from Billy Wilder, which is a great director that if you if you're you know if, of the younger variety of listeners, you should really check out a lot of Billy Wilder stuff like Sunset Boulevard, Sound Like It Hot. You should also check out Sabrina. So now be careful because <clears throat> if you Google Sabrina, you're going to see there's two versions. There's one that was made in the early 90s with um, Harrison Ford, Greg Kinnear, and uh, I cannot remember for the life of me who the female actress is in that. I think it's um, Juliette Binoche, isn't it? I believe, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Um, and it's a that's an updated remake of the 1950s version, which is Humphrey Bogart and Hepburn, um, right. which is just delightful. Just, yeah. I mean, if you're a Bogey fan, like you'll enjoy that version of Sabrina because, like, he's a little bit more gruff. I mean, he's always the gruff guy, but uh, in more of a uh, subtler context, like he's not going to be Rick from Casablanca, and that he's a little bit lighthearted in that, but he's still got the I'm Humphrey Bogart, see. So I would definitely check that one out. Okay, cool. Right on. So Dave, are you saying that your the one that you your your least favorite is Wedding Crashers and your favorite is something like it hot? No, I, I would say my favorite actually is Sliding Doors because that Yes. That definitely um subverts a lot of the expectations of of uh romantic comedy formula. Like it still follows it, but it does it in a very unique way that makes it super 
uh, like it tastes different as you're as as you're digesting it. <clears throat> like you are watching this woman and the two timelines or the two lives that could have been. And I remember I watched it. Speaking of because um, uh, speaking of Mitty, uh, we my, the teacher that I had. We had a film class, and in that class, we got to watch a bunch of movies. We watched like High Noon, uh, Shawshank Redemption, and one of them was Sliding Doors. And I remember just being so thoroughly engrossed with that movie that when um, <clears throat> I think his name is John Hannon falls in love with uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's character, and they finally kiss. I remember like audibly in the middle of class, going like "fucking finally." Um, <laughs> Because like I was so invested in these two people getting mm-hmm. together, um, and it's a great. What, what I like about it is that even though in one timeline, you know, it, it, it's a great movie about destiny. That even though she may have had him and then lost him in one life, spoilers. Uh, which also it's from 1997, so go fuck yourself. Um, <laughs> oh, gosh. She still ends up getting to meet him at the end, and there's a the the great ending of that movie is that they're in the elevator and I forget what, what sort of like leads into it, but um, he goes like, well, you know what they say? And she, she finishes a line that he said multiple times throughout is like, no one expects the Spanish inquisition. And it's just like, it's a right. great little, like mm-hmm. it's going to happen. Like she's going to get together with a guy that, you know, that she's supposed to be with. And it just like, it's still, plays a lot of those tropes, but it does it in sort of like a very Quentin Tarantino way in which like, it's sort of like, it's not A to B to C it's like C to A to B or, you know, B to A to C or whatever. So it's like, it's, it's mixed around and, um, it's very delightful. Um, it is weird that it's an entire cast of British people and they had an American actress play a British character, but it works and it's delightful. And her accent is fairly convincing. It's fairly convincing because she was al- she was also in Shakespeare and Love and everything too. Like Gwyneth Paltrow does a fairly convincing British accent. So yeah, she takes her work pretty seriously. And even though she has no formal training, I think she's good at adapting. No, I think yeah. it was perfect. Yeah. yeah. And then, well, I think she got it. Didn't she? Doesn't she speak? Doesn't she have like a British accent in Hook? Uh, she oh, does. Oh, that's when right. She, she was in Wendy. Hook. That's right. Yeah. And that's right. This is before she was married to Chris Martin, so, but I guess, I don't know if she was living in, no, she, this is her Brad Pitt phase, I think. I don't know. Yeah, because yeah, oh, the, the known fact that I found out was that, like, the scene when she's getting a haircut, and it's, like, being chopped off to make that bob that made her so famous in the 90s, like, mm-hmm. she keeps looking off camera, like, in the mirror, like, Brad Pitt is literally standing off camera watching this happen. Oh, wow. Uh, like, I think he was on set that day, and, like, was there for like moral support for mm. I mean, oh. moral support. It's like, it's not like she's losing a lake, but yeah. you know right. what I mean. Yeah. No, totally. Okay. So Gina, I have to ask you then. So if we're going on basis of favorite, so you think, okay, so sliding door is awesome. So Dave, what's your least favorite then? Is it still going to be the wedding crashers or what? <sighs> no, I, 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 I find wedding crashers to be passable. I have to say there was a movie that I used to love because I had a massive crush on the, on the leading lady now is like, it's not that good. Um, I'd prefer big is 13 going on 30. Um, I had a huge crush on Jennifer Garner and it's, and it's no fault of anybody. I just think that as a movie, it doesn't hold up. And I was sort I was absolutely blinded by, uh, my love for Jennifer Garner at the time because she was an alias. Um, I remember watching that show and being like, wow, she's really pretty. I'm a prepubescent boy. Um, (laughs) Things are happening to me. I don't know what they are. I need to read textbooks to figure out what's this feeling I'm feeling. And 
So watching the movie, I was like, oh, like she's so great. It's so, oh, it's fantastic. And I remember dragging two of my friends with me and they could not have been more bored. Yeah. Um, and they were just like, what the fuck, man? Like, what? It, why would you pick this movie? I'm like, but wasn't it great? She's so good. <laughs> and it's like, I've watched it recently and like the nostalgic factor is there. And I'm like, oh yeah, I remember really liking this. But it's just it's just a very it's a very uh, watered down version of Big, which I feel like is a better rom com in the sense. Well, I, I I don't know if you could really consider Big a rom com, but I feel like it's a better version of that story where you know, you know, adult body, childhood mentality, and having to learn how to grow up and falling in love and losing that love and what that means. And I feel like you know Tom Hanks does it better than than what that story does. I yeah, mean, mm-hmm. it just. There's no amount of Michael Jackson choreographed dancing that you can throw in that's going to make me go like, yeah, you're the winner. Mm-hmm. Like, I love Thriller, but I don't think that they needed to do an entire Thriller dance with Andy Serkis right, um, yeah. leading the pack. So. Well, I would say this. I don't think Big is a romantic comedy. I would say 13 on 30 is if Big was a romantic comedy. That's mm-hmm. basically what that movie is. Yeah. And, I mean, I see your point with it. Um, so... That makes but brings me to Gina. Yes, Barbara. Gina. What do you think is your least favorite romantic comedy? Five Hundred Days of Summer. Really interesting. Okay, care to elaborate? I, I, I mean, I did. Does she care to elaborate? <laughs> Ryan, were you there the first oh. ten minutes? <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Um, I I dislike Five Hundred Days of Summer because I think it came out in a period of time where. The the director was almost going for almost like a Wes Anderson kind of level of like twee with the the style of it and the way it's presented and everything. And Zoe Deschanel is is gorgeous and Joseph Gordon Levitt is really cute. But it's one where at the time I watched it when it originally came out, it was like, oh, okay, like this is cool. This seems real or whatever. But I recently we rewatched it again as an adult and like I ended up just starting to hate watch it just to see how bad it continued to be because and it started and <laughs> like watching, it, it. <laughs> it, it started to get to the point where the only redeemable thing I found about it was that Matthew Gray Goobler's in it and I'm into tall gangly weirdos and he can get it. So, um, but, like, <laughs> but like, but like, like the the character that Joseph Gordon Levitt portrays, it, it, he falls into this trap that also a lot of romantic comedies fall into. Is like women are kind of put up on this pedestal that when they're not what you expect, there's this weird fall from grace. And like she didn't do anything wrong, but now you have this new vision of her that is somehow corrupted from the like perfect marble statue mm-hmm. that you had before and. The main reason that I don't like 500 Days of Summer is because, you know, especially upon rewatching it, I knew a lot of guys who like 500 Days of Summer was their breakup movie because they would look at Joseph Gordon-Levitt and they'd be like, oh, it me or whatever. And the problem is with Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character is at the beginning of the film, you have, um, I'm forgetting the name of the actress, um, she was in Kick-Ass and the in the Carrie remake. Um, oh, uh, Chloe Grace Moritz. Yeah, Chloe Grace Moritz, who I, I think is great. And the opening shot is her biking across the city because his friends have called her to try to talk some sense into him mm. post-breakup. Mm. Like, if you're to the point where you need to call your sister, who is a child, to dangerously bike across the city in the middle of the night as, like, an unaccompanied young woman, what the actual 
fuck is wrong with you? And when she <laughs> when she shows up, she's like, oh, where is he? And they point to the kitchen where he is methodically grabbing every dinner plate out of out of the cupboard and smashing it and repeating this process. Like, listen, homie, if Elle Woods and Legally Blonde can can redirect all of her sad breakup energy into, okay, watching movies, eating chocolates for, you know, internalizing that on her own, but then using that energy to get into Harvard Law, you can do more than having to necessitate an Ikea trip, like, tomorrow. So, <laughs> so and, like, my my issue, too, is, like, I, I, I understand equating the two is a totally false equivalency. I understand people, you know process grief and process breakups in different ways. But like 500 days of summer, a year is 365 days. So they were dating for what, like a year and a half when she decided it wasn't for her and she's the one who ended it. It very much vilified her for it very much vilified her for wanting to end it when she realized it wasn't for her. Now, and, you know, at the beginning of the film, she also says things like, I don't see myself being anybody's girlfriend. And they get really close to one another. But it also perpetuates this idea that, like, men and women cannot be friends without it ultimately getting to a, like, romance tipping point. I have had male friends for several years of my life. I have no inclination of fucking them in any way. And they know that and it's a mutual level of respect. But because he looked at Zooey Deschanel's character, he looked at Summer and thought, I'm somehow deeply in love with this woman within two hours of just seeing her across a hall. And now I'm determined to make her my girlfriend. Yeah, she goes along with it for a little while. And then she realizes it's not what she wants. And he's, you know, a sad, whiny little bitch about it. <laughs> and, like, and I'm not I'm not saying that because like, I understand breakups are painful. I've gone through them before. They are painful. But like, yeah. unless something really horrific happens, there's no need for you to like vilify that person for deciding this wasn't for them. Like, there's a quote from a movie that I really enjoy called uh, Bedrooms and Hallways. And there's a quote in there that says, all relationships end. You either break up or one of you dies. And so... You know, if you're in a mutual two-person relationship, there's always that risk of somebody may end it. And mm. if it's not for them, it's not for them. Like, what is what is worse? Living your life then with that person, knowing that they are not happy in that relationship, or dealing with your grief in a healthy way and then letting them go? And, you know, it's unfortunate because I don't like movies that also perpetuate this idea that women are somehow robots that you put niceness and friendship tokens into until sex falls out. Um, so <laughs> this is why I do not like 500 Days of Summer, because it perpetuates like even though Joseph Gordon, you don't look at Joseph Gordon-Levitt and, and think like that guy will perpetuate toxic masculinity. The idea of it is still very much perpetuated in the idea of his character and that's what i don't like and at the end of the at the end of the film he meets you know some other cute twee girl with a twee name autumn in a waiting room somewhere and you see the twinkle in his eye and you kind of figure now he's going to perpetuate this whole process over again with another girl and he hasn't learned anything and right. it's shitty storytelling yeah it's shitty storytelling and there are so many men i know that like 
are are wonderful and sensitive men, but they watch this movie and they look at Joseph Gordon-Levitt and think, it me. And that's not what I want them to, like, go into relationships with. Yeah. Yeah, and I think what end rant. <laughs> yeah, no, no, totally. And hey, drop the mic. Holy shit! Um, I agree with you in that it's what what it does is it puts a, a heavy amount of charm factor over all that stuff, mm-hmm. and I think that's what gets people roped into it. And you're right; it's a it's a very flawed story, and it's it's a story that does not perpetuate the kind of ideals that we want. I think right. as a, as a culture. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think to not. I don't want to dominate because I know Brian wants to give his answers too, but I feel like you're, you're touching on something that's very true. And this is coming from a person who, for the longest time, the the diet of movies that I used to watch were all based around rom-coms. Like for the longest time, rom-coms were my my escape, my my wonderfulness because, you know, they they gave they, – they, they produce a certain amount of hope about love and like what love is and what to expect. And for someone who is a prepubescent teen who then grows into <clears throat> an even more, you know, like a, a, like an 18-year-old, a 19-year-old who's like trying to find his way in life, I think as, I think as most of us are when we, when we graduate and we're now into adulthood, there's this thing where it's like I – for me personally, I was – I was more overweight. I always felt like I was going to be the fat, funny friend. And that was a genuine thought that was like running through my head. And it was like these movies provide an escape of like, yeah, you are seeing yourself through the eyes of this person and like you're going to find love and it's going to – you're going to have some rough patches and then you're going to get back together and everything's going to be fine. And like that's sort of like the mentality and the message that's being sent to the younger audiences as they're watching these movies, which is why I find the dynamic shift – uh, of where rom-coms are going now where it's like now it's all realistic and everybody's flawed and it's gritty and everyone's like oh my god that's my real life and like it's just on screen now um, it, 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 it was sort of like the sugarcoat thing to be like okay like this is going to be the thing that you're going to have eventually and like it really it really fucks with your brain in the sense that like for the male from the male perspective you are you are being taught that like every girl that you talk to is a potential uh is a potential candidate, if you will. And it's a fucked up way of thinking about life. And like, I catch myself now, like I'm in a committed relationship. I'm engaged. We're getting married this summer. Like I am fully invested in my relationship with this person. And yet there are like these like echoes of like, when you meet people that are like, oh my God, do they find me attractive? And it's like, it's such a, it's such a terrible thing to have in a lot of these movies. Um, because it's like it sort of like alters perspectives in a way that shouldn't be altered. You know what I mean? Like it's setting up a real un, uh, 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 an unrealistic expectation about like what love is going to be. And it's like that's not what love is in reality. Like there are certain elements that are true about finding somebody. I think meet cutes are, are real. Like the people like if you think back to like when Brian and Vanessa met or like when my when Alexandra and I met or like when you and David met. Like there were moments where you guys met each other and like those are the meet cutes. And I feel like those are true. But it's like what couples go through in movies – is not reality in any way, shape, or form. And it, a lot of people be like, well, duh, David, that's true. But at the same time, like, you, you, if you watch enough of these, you start to think that, like, maybe, like, that's what real life is. And, like, and like movies like 500 Days of Summer are enjoyable, sure, but, like, what Gina hit it on the head. It's like, a lot of people are taking this to heart. They're like, yeah, that's me on the screen. Like, when's my autumn going to come and save me? You know what I mean? And it's just sort of like it's a really strange phenomena of like, you know, of of these of these types of movies. Like if I watch Die Hard, I'm not going to think like, 
one day I'm going to be in a skyscraper and I'm going to save everybody by killing one <laughs> terrorist at a time during Christmas sure. time. Like I never had that thought that that's ever going to happen. But because rom-coms are so close to reality about human emotion and about human love, like it, it's more easy to slip into that and be like, oh, this is reality. I fucking love it. Look, I'm going to find her. She's going to find me right. attractive immediately. And so I, it's a very strange dichotomy. And I think that's one of the odd dangers of, I'm not saying, oh, the moral dangers of romantic comedies, because that sounds <laughs> that sounds like all of a sudden I'm speaking to a church group. But um, It's a pamphlet you hand out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's rom-com madness. Meet cute madness. <laughs> you know. Um, uh, but, <laughs> um, but um, oh, no, man. no. I, what I, musical. Yeah. What I was going to say was that um, – you're right. You know, we we look at these movies, and because they are so believably portrayed, it's very easy for us to be influenced by them. But we have to, we really do have to remember the critical eye of this is somebody who is actually intentionally distorting reality to make a point. And I think as a writer, you can look at it and say, okay, well, looking at it and thinking this is reality is kind of silly. Some writers may have done that as their catharsis as well and maybe made it really close to how their experience was and that is that is a, a whole separate point i think and it's a valid point in and of itself but i think you're right and i think i kind of feel the same way is that i grew up i didn't watch rom-com steadily but i knew enough of them being the kind of you know lonely teenager up until my early 20s when i started actually dating thinking that that was kind of how love was supposed to mm-hmm. happen minus of course you know weird circumstances that could never actually happen in real life. Like, I didn't think there was going to be a she's all that kind of situation where, <laughs> where a guy takes a girl who's not, you know, popular and, and goes through all these things to make her popular. Um, but, you know, and it, 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 there is that still that awareness now of how much it's affected relationships I've had with women, uh, both romantically and non-romantically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, it's this weird simulation of, well, just because a woman's being nice to you doesn't mean she's attracted to you, you know? Mm -hmm. And breaking yourself of saying, okay, that doesn't mean, just because she's being polite and wants to have a conversation with you doesn't mean she's interested in you romantically whatsoever. Yeah, she's not undressing you with her eyes as she's like, oh, hey, how was your day? It's not like, that's not code for being like, please take me in in the barn. Yeah, and I think, (laughs) this this is an old trope we've said before, but no, I think it comes down to, hey, the more we get women writing movies and the more we get women directing movies, the more we break those barriers down and more we present real reality of like- Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that being said- Gina, what's your favorite rom-com? So the thing, like, I am going to have to agree with Dave and, say, Sliding Doors. Um, yeah? Oh, right on. Okay. Yeah, I do I do really like Sliding Doors. I like how it's structured. And again, like, that kind of parallelism of, you know, the spoiler there, you know, have you seen Sliding Doors? Yeah. Okay. Like, so at, at the end, you know, you, you kind of see what her life would be like. The, the, the title Sliding Doors is whether or not she catches a train and the door slides shut. And so how is her life affected by whether or not she caught this train um, on a particular day home from work, where in one in one situation, if she had caught the train, she would have gone back to her apartment to find her current boyfriend cheating on her and would have gone on this, you know, amazing journey of self-discovery and meeting John Hanna and all of that. Meanwhile, if she had not caught the train, she would have been in this other, that she would have stuck in the same relationship with this other guy who, whenever I watch it, I always forget that it's the same guy who played, like, Lord Craven in the Secret Garden movie. And I'm just like, <laughs> no, but you were, like, a such a sad, like, self-loathing dad in that. But no, now you're a 
giant asshole in sliding doors. Um, <laughs> but um, but like but sliding doors is a lot of fun because it. I feel like sliding doors doesn't take itself so seriously as a romantic yeah. comedy because it it does an accurate job of portraying both of what her life could have been and yeah there's a big climax at the end where it shows you which of these timelines was quote unquote the real one Mm -hmm. but then it does leave that hope in the end that she will find the person in you know the the good timeline and you know as a kid like my mom grew up watching monty python and so i had i watched a lot of monty python as a kid and like the big fun meet cute moment is you know she Gwyneth Paltrow is sitting in the train and you know she's she's all upset because you know she lost her job or whatever and John Hanna's character sees her looking sad and so you know not intending to be like creepier in in any way but you know he says like you you look sad or whatever and you know but uh but remember you know what do the Monty Python boys say and she kind of looks up and half-heartedly smiles and she goes oh always look on the bright side of life and he throws her off and he goes no nobody expects the Spanish English Inquisition, and it's like a really it, it is it is a really fun meet cute because he wasn't going into this looking at her like I'm a fuck that girl. It was wow she looks sad. I'm gonna say something that's gonna throw her off and maybe make her laugh. And I may never see her again, but you know it could also start a conversation and we we can become friends. Now the interesting thing about sliding doors is one of the things that you guys have brought up is you don't necessarily like rom-coms where a lot of the plot lies on somebody hiding something. And it is revealed at one point that the John Hanna character is hiding a particular fact from Gwyneth Paltrow's character, but he's not like intentionally hiding it. It's because it's it's something that you know, comes up organically. It's, you know, he, she thinks he's hiding the fact that he is married um, and that he's cheating on his wife. But ultimately what happens is because she sees him and his wife together. um, But what happens is, you know, he, he tells her later that he's been divorced, but his mother who is institutionalized, um, either yeah yeah, she either she has his mother has like dementia or is very very sick and they were basically pretend when they would go visit her they would pretend to be still together for the sake of his sick mom and so that's that's something where almost the it's not necessarily he's lying to her because he's he he's not married so you know it's he didn't expect her to see him with his wife either and so it was it's you know we get into that weird like lie slash lie by omission territory but it's it's come off it comes off in a way that's a little bit more Mm -hmm. forgivable yeah i i might i thought that they were married but separated and that they hadn't gone through with the full divorce yet because of oh that may have been it too it was it was something where they were technically not together. Right. He wasn't cheating on his wife, but at the end of the day, yeah. it was because they were they were doing something for the good of the the sick right. mom's. Basically, mentality. yeah. Like emotionally, the marriage is over. Yeah, yeah. In the legal sense, it's not over. Right. I get yeah, I, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um. I mean, that is a great movie. Uh, I have to say, thinking about this myself and thinking about what would be my least favorite rom com and my my favorite rom com is that this is actually really difficult for me to come up with. I really can't come up with a least favorite and a most favorite. I think I can. what I can probably do is I can say there are movies that um, that do resonate with me and movies that just didn't resonate with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, like, films that, I, like, didn't resonate with me would be 
she's all that, you know, and I know, hey, it's My Fair Lady done over again. Oh, that's cool and everything. But it just, it didn't, I, I was watching, I'm just like, eh, mm-hmm. it, just, it just, I didn't have the connection with it. Isn't uh, a you well. You mean the dance break in the middle of the party doesn't get you going? Oh, <laughs> uh, no, that was actually like, fuck this shit. So, on the, this is so far from reality that it's not even funny. Um, but it's just. As far as story goes, I mean, I it follows again all. It's very, it's pretty formulaic. It literally is My Fair Lady, except with the with it works out that Henry Higgins and uh, Eliza Doolittle end up together at the end. I mean, it's 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 Pygmalion with a happy ending, basically, unlike <laughs> the original story. So, uh, I didn't really care for How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. Um, I think of, about movies that I really liked when they first came out, but. Over time, I've thought about it and thought, eh, there are problems I see with it now because of the dialogue and because of how the stories are told um, that don't click with me anymore. Like, I used to love Garden State. Dave, I know you used to love Garden State as well. Some people argue that Garden State's more of a drama than it is a romantic comedy, but mm-hmm. there is that that binding <clears throat> through line to it of the Natalie Portman and Zach mm-hmm. Braff storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, but she is not... I mean, she's she's a better fem- developed female character for her time, but in retrospect, mm. she's she's not a great female character. She, I think she, she falls into the same realm as like Five Hundred Days of Summer. Uh, yeah, man, that manic, like, the manic, but like pixie. even worse in that like at least at least uh, fi- Summer in that instance was like you know I tried it wasn't my thing, um, you know, and he's just pissed about it. I think it's more about like she seems broken and like him being there like fixes her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's man- like she's the manic pixie dream girl. And I yeah. think even Sarah mentioned it on the episode that we did about it. You know, it's just sort of like he go like his presence fixes her, which is like a really weird like a, it's a savior movie. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I agree with you. Like, I love that movie because of nostalgic reasons. But, yeah, it's not doesn't hold up for me as yeah. much as I would hope it would. Um, movies uh, also like uh, The Holiday. Now, The Holiday, I will still watch. In fact, I did watch it recently this year. And the holiday, I think, is kind of like it's it walks that line, and that I believe that's a Nancy Myers movie too. Um, yes, it is. Yeah, it walks that line of it's it subverts some of the 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 formula, but from a pure technical aspect of okay, how well told is the structure of the story? It's it's pretty solid. Dialogue for me is not great in that movie at all. And, you know, no. it's, I mean, it literally, it takes actors to the caliber of Jude Law and Kate Winslet and Jack Black, Cam- Cameron Diaz. Um, it takes actors of really, really good caliber to take very lackluster dialogue and make it work. And that's mm-hmm. what makes that movie work. The acting is what saves that movie. Yeah. You know, but it doesn't, as a movie that I can say I can watch over and over again, I can't. I can watch it once every few years. I can watch America's Sweethearts again because... <laughs> I don't know why, but like when you when you texted yesterday and said "Pussy Boy," I'm like, "Oh my god, Hank Azaria is hilarious <laughs> in that movie." Um, well, well, speaking of My Fair Lady, there's a great line that Billy Crystal says to uh, to Seth Green, right? Like his who's like his protege, and he's like, "Oh yeah, can I have the number to Holly Golightly?" And he goes like, "Holly Golightly." He's like, "Oh, that's her cover name when when Gwen's you know traveling," and he goes and he goes like, "Holly Golightly." He's like, "You know, Breakfast at Tiffany's," and he goes, "Oh right." Hepburn. He goes, yeah, Catherine. And they just like look like Crystal just looks at <laughs> Seth Green and goes like, when people ask you if you're in the movie business, 
don't tell them that you are or yeah. something to that effect. It's just like the, 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 the writing of that movie is so Billy Crystal and it's just so beautiful. Just so, 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 so good. There's that. I think it was it also like they've got a great Dane and he walks oh, in. Oh, it's a dopamine pincher. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is it, he says nice horse or something when he walks in because the yeah. dog's just so yeah. huge. <laughs> uh, it's so like just, it's got really, really witty dialogue. John Cusack, I mean, he had this tiny little stint in the early 2000s where he well, he went on a rom-com stint, and you know, he did that, and he did Serendipity. and um, High Fidelity? And I, oh, oh, fuck, I forgot about High Fidelity. Okay, so hold on. I'm going <laughs> to put that over there. Okay. <laughs> I'm, amending my, I'm amending my answer. Okay, okay. So, okay, so that movie, I can watch over and over again, and I can love it. I fucking love High Fidelity. High Fidelity is so much about a guy working out his inner demons about insecurities and relationships. And I think the way it's done completely breaks format for, because I mean, how you start with a breakup. I mean, fuck, you start with boy loses girl, right? And the whole movie is boy gets girl back. Like it is literally the entire one act of traditional (laughs) romantic comedies. And as he's doing it, he's musing over the top five, quote unquote, really top four failed relationships that he, that, and realizing, oh shit, I'm an asshole. Like, like, I love that his realization is that it's, I'm just this insecure guy who never really learned how to deal with shit. And he fucked up the one relationship that was the one that was actually working out for him by being an asshole. And I think coming to those realizations and then, you know, it takes the crux of the, the actress, what's her name? Um, She's an Arquette, isn't she? She's not an Arquette. I'm, what's the act, what's the actress is the main, the, the girlfriend's name? Uh, isn't it Bonet? Something Bonet? Okay. I guys, I'm so sorry. I don't have my my device. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, it's okay. You can talk and and let us know. But it takes her father dying and that whole very realistic, true to life of I don't know who else to turn to, so I'm going to turn to the person who's close, who is closest to me, to come together. That they do kind of reconnect. And I thought, hey, isn't it Lisa Bonet? It, I I think it is. Yeah, that just really spoke to me as this whole. It just felt very real, and um, and it's also it's got a very good it's got very good dialogue. It's got very good ensemble acting in it. Um, it of course introduced us to, just introduced us to the world of Jack Black being a singer as well. You know, uh, like holy shit, um, that's a movie I can. I'm actually like, well, fuck, I want to go home and watch that right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then I think there's one more, and it's one I hadn't watched again until recently that I really really do appreciate and it's a movie called keeping the faith hmm. uh i don't know if you guys remember it at all so oh it's... edward norton uh ben stiller and jenna elfman right correct yeah so hmm. ben's it was uh it, it was edward norton's first m- movie he directed as well he didn't write the script but he directed it and so ben stiller and uh, edward norton are uh, a catholic and jewish kids growing up and one becomes a rabbi one becomes a priest (laughs) and as they were kids they had this friend named anna who was there like they were just they were inseparable she moves away they both she contacts them after they've grown up and become you know men of the cloth and they both meet her again and they are instantly attracted to her both of them so there's this whole funny dynamic of jacob uh, who is uh, Ben Stiller's character has to, he's being pressured to to take a wife at the, at his temple because he won't be able to move up within the ranks of the, the mm-hmm. rabbis at his temple without 
finding a partner. <laughs> so there's also him going through a couple of really, really bad first dates um, with people who he's being set up with by other women in the, the temple. Uh, juxtaposed to Brian, with, uh, his character, who is Edward Norton's character, who is the priest who's now questioning his vows. Like he, because he, because <laughs> he had overcome that hill of oh well, this vow of celibacy shit is really hard. To him questioning all those things, and what I think is really interesting is the yes, it does technically rely on the lie trope, but I think it's less about lies and more about misunderstandings. Because the third act, the really the climax of the story, happens when Jake is afraid of losing her. Oh, sorry. I was afraid of really what's going to happen because she's not Jewish, and he know his he knows his mom. Uh, he had a brother who is on different issues. Uh, had different issues with his mom because he married a woman who was not Jewish, and it created a, a chasm between the two of them emotionally. So he is really, really afraid of what the temple's going to think about him dating and seeing a non-Jewish woman, and what his mom's going to do mm-hmm. if his mom, it, uh, if he knows he's serious about this woman. So out of that pure fear, he breaks things off. He comes up with all these other bullshit reasons. Then he breaks things off. Well, she goes to tell Brian this. Brian confesses all of his love for her. And which creates this whole awkward thing where now nobody, all three of them are completely broken apart because they can't talk to each other. He's, Brian is, is mad at Jake for Jake breaking her heart, Anna's heart. Anna can't talk to Jake, obviously, because they're on the outs. And she can't talk to Brian either because they're fucking, yeah. you know, there's that whole awkward tension. Oh my so, God. What I think is really funny is they make up because she goes to confession, and, and, <laughs> and Brian is the one giving confession. So it, that's hilarious. So it, yes, of course, the Catholic in me is like, oh my god, this is playing off years of Catholic education and kind of poking fun at it while still being respectful to it. Um, but at the same time, it, I think it's it's with such a fresh way of, of handling that kind of material, and um, you know. It's also got amazing acting in it. I mean, Anne Bancroft plays Jacob's mom, <laughs> and she's wonderful. And you, and she, she reveals she has like this little mini stroke. So there's that little crisis that gets him to the hospital, and she reveals that it's just you know, it wasn't what he thought he was about what separated the relationship. Yes, she could have handled that situation better, but she admits that she handled it wrong, and that she also, um, and that her son, her other son, is basically punishing her through that by by not telling her anything. Like he's he's deliberately choosing not to not to share details from from his life, mm-hmm. um, so it's um, it ends up becoming. I just I think the way it ends up playing out is is wonderful. It, you know they, she does eventually choose him, and you also find out that this whole time the one little thing that's the deception element is you find out that Jenna Elfman through the majority of the movie has actually been studying Jewish. Uh, culture to become jewish oh <laughs> and you don't find that out until the last scene which i think is the right way to do it because if you find out like i fucking went to a rabbi for you you shithead mm-hmm. like then it just looks it's yeah. it's kind of like that hitch thing where like you know will smith throws the whole i'm a love doctor thing back in your face oh. back in a, um it just it's 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 too it's too contrived at that point to like say well yeah Fuck you too, yeah. asshole. You know, um, so yeah, I, I highly recommend people go out and watch this movie. By the way, I think it's on, I think it's on Stars on Demand. But I mean, it's, that sounds super fun. I yeah. had never heard of that one before. Sorry, yeah. I, I, you just reminded me. I watched Hitch yesterday, and I remember watching it before. I, I did not like that movie. Uh, I remember thinking it was like super fun and like, oh, it's Will Smith being real funny, and he's like, you know, 
He's a love doctor. And Kevin James, he's hilarious. It is not a good movie. And I feel bad <laughs> because, you know, I understand that somebody wrote it and somebody, you know, but I, I, I think the, the problem I have with it is that it's just, it is so full of cliches. Like 90% of the dialogue that comes out of Will Smith's mouth are like these weird, weirdly placed statistics it's like he just goes like you know 90% of women blah 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 and i'm just like where where are you getting this information all of the time and like cosmo and then, and then his, his, his and then like his his like his final speech to Ava Mendez is the most overly dramatic speech i have ever heard where it's just sort of like what are you doing it's like He's like, oh my God, you, 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 like you flew off the car. And he's like, that's what you do when you're in love. You jump uh-huh. and you hope that you can fly. And I'm just like, it is like, it's like listening to a fortune cookie. <laughs> it's like the guy is just reading fortune cookies. Like, you know, the episode of The Simpsons where it's just sort of like, you know, like you will find love in another. It's like, oh, we're out of those. Like, well, then get the, the stick, stay with your wife cookies. Like, it almost feels like that, where it's just like little snippets that he's just like, it's just like arbitrary just sort of sayings that sort of sound profound and it just it's just a very strange movie and it's like th- like that's the thing I don't like about certain rom-coms is that they they do this thing where like you can tell that it's going to be a certain formula like rom-com when like the main guy um and then the main girl, they have like their group of friends and like that's where the comedy comes from where it's like, you know, they're like bitching to their friends about, you know, uh, life or like who this person is and like I want to find love and blah, blah, blah. And like their friends are like the quirky friends. Like in, in, in Hitch, it's like Ava Mendes' friend is that southern girl. So it's like she's down and wholesome and she's going through some stuff. And then like, you know, Will Smith has Michael Rapaport who is like – ostensibly a very funny guy he's only in one scene and like you've never mentioned ever (laughs) again and it's just sort of like it's just a very weird like dynamic and like what really pokes fun at this and like i i I implore all of you i I think i forced brian to watch but i don't know if you watched the whole thing but there's a movie called they came together and it's a movie about um (laughs) this is the one with amy poehler and paul rudd amy poehler and paul rudd and it's a it's a parody about romantic comedies this movie is and pretty it's damn like, funny and it's like pointedly so like there are certain parodies that are sort of subtle about it this is meant to be over the top this is meant to be very in your face and it lambasts all the traditional tropes of um of a rom-com but like but still being a rom-com and it does so in a way that's just very unique it's very smart it takes all those things that you would normally expect like there's a great scene where like they're in the house and like they're about to have sex for the first time and they're making out and it's like it overdoes like them you know like leaning up against things and like things falling over and like they're just like (laughs) intentionally pushing things off tables and like at one point she grabs something and like throws it against the wall whilst kissing him and it's just stupid (laughs) stuff like that so it's just sort of like you know it's like things like that that are just like super funny and like if you if you're into rom-coms and you can appreciate something like this go see they came together because it's just it'll like tickle your funny bone because you're like oh my god they hit everything and they did it right like even his like group of friends actively announces like there's a line that the guy from um uh, from 30 rock who plays kenneth he's like you have to take all of our traits like all of his best friend's traits and like find us and put them all together because that's gonna be the person that you need to become and he's got like the four different friends with like four different traits like one thinks about sex one's more about <laughs> like career and one's more about like sentimentality and all that bullshit so it's just it's a very great movie i would recommend seeing it it's super funny awesome no, it is. The moments I remember watching, I only watched about halfway through, but I just remember watching it get predicted. Like, it's so 
the tone, even though it gets, it sounds almost like a Zucker Brothers movie in that Very they make much. things. Yeah. yeah. But the tone the of their delivery, all this stuff is completely deadpan. <laughs> so it's, um, it, I wouldn't say it's quite as campy as a Zucker Brothers movie is. It's actually smarter than a Zucker Brothers movie is. Uh, yeah. It's, it's fantastic. Um, thank you for bringing that up, dude. I'm glad, I'm glad you were going to say it because I couldn't remember the name of it at all. So, um, Gina, guys, do you have any more that you love or hate or <laughs> wish to, to, to have umbrage about <laughs> since that's the word of the day? Well, in, in the last episode, I did mention that there was something about how to lose a guy in 10 days that I liked. And like rom-coms in general are just like not my genre. I think I'm just kind of like, eh, they're a little formulaic for me. Like they're fun to have on in the background, but it's not something that like I really would take to heart. And I think that's one of the reasons why I didn't like 500 Days of Summer so much was I saw people in my life taking that piece of media to heart and very much grafting themselves onto it, which can mm-hmm. lead to a very toxic thing. Meanwhile, like, I think How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, it plays off the fact that they're both playing one another. And then ultimately, they realize, like, because they're both kind of assholes about it, that is better for them and it kind of both help like the the realization that they've both been played kind of helps them grow um and i think that's that's kind of fun also just like i think matthew mcconaughey and kate hudson play off one another really funnily in it um because it's also kind of like the that one also brings up um the idea of they kind of see what the consequences of their lie have been like she starts to feel really bad about this being a lie when she goes and she meets his family and how and like the his mom tells her like well he he doesn't necessarily bring other girls home um that sort of thing and and stuff like that and so i think it's it that one kind of shows that there there are consequences and ultimately those consequences are what led them led to them actually like being together and ending up with one another in the end um also along, uh, now you know what, I'll mention that, you know, another time that would be appropriate. I don't want to talk about that one right now. Um, <laughs> now, okay. um, I was I was going to mention 40 Days and 40 Nights. But oh, yeah, I didn't see I it. Don't, I don't want to mention that just also because, A, it doesn't really hold up. B, it's really weird. And then it, it also gets, like, really weirdly rapey at the end. And mm. I don't want to talk about that one. 40 Days and 40 Nights. Which one's that? It's, it's the what, one where the guy says that basically for Lent he's going to... Yeah, also, oh, also it's just like, are you having, th- are you boning that much that you need to give that up for Lent? That is your sacrifice? Well, My that's a, God, that's man. A weird, like, I feel like that's a weird product of like late 90s because it yeah. kind of follows the same, not maybe tonal feel of like um, Rules of Attraction, which is yeah. like a really weird like 90s flick. That's like almost just like drug fueled. Like you can do like you can like smell the cocaine coming well, off. Of it's the movie also and off I mean the frames. It's also Brett Easton Ellis who also wrote American Psycho, and in fact, in the books of American Psycho and the Rules of Attraction, you find out that Sean Bateman is Patrick Bateman's younger brother. Yeah. So, but um, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's why it's drug fueled. It's just because it's it was. Actually- well, yeah, but I just mean like just like the the movie itself. Forty. I remember watching that once and being like, "This is a weird movie." You know, it's. I don't it's, know if I like it. I know I was younger, but at it's the same fucked time, up. Don't, I don't watch think it. That movie would hold up. Like, I don't need to watch it to know that like it's it's weird. Yeah, like, I, I agree yeah. with you, Gina. Like, at what point, like, how much are you fucking 
that you have to be like, you know, this is my repentance. Like, I need to stop. Yeah. Like, most people go like, I just want to stop eating chocolate for 40 days. This guy's like, yeah. I need to stop putting my dick in things for 40 days. Yeah. Yeah. So. Gross. Yeah. We're, I don't. I don't want to talk about that one right now because it's stupid. So, okay, but yeah, and I. I think. I think most of my. You know, I gave you the the two sides of my spectrum here. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I. This would be a fun subject to revisit. Um, I'm actually very curious and, and optimistic about how romantic comedies, um, go from here because one thing we didn't talk about last time was that you can actually, if you look at the at least with American romantic comedies. Over the decades from, like, the 30s, when we started seeing movies like It Happened One Night, there were about 15 to 20 rom-coms a year, which sounds like a lot. But think about the grand scheme of the movies Mm -hmm. that studios would release, right? As we get to the 90s, the 90s was that first huge boom where we all of a sudden jump from 20 to maybe 30 to all of a sudden, fuck, there was, like, 40 to 50 a year being released. Um, Within, oh, sorry, let me, not, not a year, I'm sorry. 10 to 15, 10 to 20 in a decade, I should mm-hmm. say that. So there was like one or two really big romantic comedies yeah. a year coming out. Now there's 40 to 50 within a decade. So that means you're averaging, what, five romantic comedies a year coming out now. Mm-hmm. And and that's just an insane n- number. And because of that, you have, they have to rely on formula. They have to rely on, on tropes. And they go with sloppy writing because they just want to market and get a rom-com out there. Well, think about too, like Lifetime lives off of this. Totally. Right. Totally. And what's or interesting. Hallmark, I should say. What's interesting is there's this kind of twofold thing I'm curious to see what happens because as we've gone into the superhero era of, of cinema, which is not a bad thing, obviously. I mean, nerds on film. But <laughs> as studios want to sp- spend less money on the $40 million studio pick and the $200 million superhero or action epic pick, we're going to see rom- romantic comedies be more directly released on Hulu and on Netflix and the like. And there'll be a couple of independents that'll come out in theaters, but it's, I mean, we've already seen it go down dramatically in the last five or six years. But I'm also, as more and more women do get into filmmaking and do get the positions that they just, that they have long deserved as writers and directors more consistently, I'm really curious to see and very optimistic to see where Ron comes go in the future and do we do we subvert the formulas altogether or more or do we just throw out the book and just say you know let's just tell a story let's tell a quirky story about love Mm -hmm. that is funny for different reasons you know and see what happens from there so Mm -hmm. that's my two cents to wrap up this little package Mm -hmm. yeah just to piggyback off my last statement is i i agree i would i'm interested to see because i think obviously hollywood works in cycles right right now we're in a superhero cycle Um, which is sort of like our generation's version of the Western. Um, You know, I feel like that's going to be here for a long while and we're going to continue to have them throughout the year. Like we just had another Western come out with Christian Bale and like we're still going to see them. But right now it's like in the throw of things. I, 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 I am confident in saying that I think that in a few years we'll have another resurgence of just like, you know, uh, of, uh, rom-coms sort of in the mainstream. Um, just because, you know, the, the audiences will want it because we'll get fatigued by superheroes. We'll go to rom-coms and we'll get fatigued by those and we'll move over to superheroes again. And it's just, it's going to be like a, a, you know, ups and down with it. Um, I am curious to though, because I think in the last episode I stated that audiences are getting tired of formulas 
you know, I am curious to see how, just like Brian, how they're going to subvert the genre. Like, what can they do that's different? And I feel like the people who are in the industry now, who are, you know, somewhere in my position or a little bit ahead, people who have a voice and people who are ready to to tell new stories, I'm interested to see how they're going to change things. Because I do believe that there is going to be a shakeup uh, in terms of like storytelling as far as like trying to find new ways to tell the same seven stories, right? There's seven stories out there and we're finding new ways to tell them. I think there are still new ways to tell stories. I think there's still new ways to tell rom-coms. Um, it's just figuring out how to, you know, in the words of Kevin Smith, crack the code and then, you know, uh, present it to the audience. And I, I, yeah. I'm very excited to see what that's going to look like. I lied. There was one other thing I was going to say. We're already starting to see that because I fucking loved Trainwreck. Oh, I never oh, saw see, it. See, I did not. Oh, you did not like Trainwreck at all? I I just didn't think that it was it, like I I enjoyed what it was, but I didn't enjoy the movie. Like I didn't enjoy really the characters. Like I felt like the comedy there was something about it that just didn't click. And okay. I don't know exactly what it was for me. Um I love that it was a like I love that it was a female written, female led uh, story for whatever reason I didn't find connection to it in a way that I normally do. I did enjoy it while watching it, but I didn't walk away going like, "Yeah, that's going to sit with me forever." Um, okay, um, fair. But I did think, I'm, I'm sorry, if, if you're going to bring Lebr- LeBron James in and make him like your comedic sidekick, like perfect fucking like bravo, like well done, like that. That was such a great like welcome element to that movie that I didn't expect. I didn't expect him to sort of outshine Bill Hader when Bill Hader to me is a really funny and comedic genius in my brain. Yeah, totally. Okay. And you know, I I will say before we move on really quick, um, I do think that as far as the argument about superheroes versus the Western deserves its own episode (laughs) because there is, I think there's a couple reasons why the Westerns don't work that don't necessarily apply to why superhero movies will eventually have their, demise i think that if they do they'll be for a episode brian (laughs) i think that might be a future episode um i want i'm already i'm 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 booking my seat i want to be on that one (laughs) okay excellent uh dave before we get into feedback we always want to thank you again for coming back we appreciate it thank you so much for having me i love you know me i love talking about movies i love talking about with my friends so this is like uh, a walk in the park for me so thank you yeah maybe we'll make this more more of a regular thing yeah dave yeah let's get to feedback shall we also more of you need to actually like write letters uh brian's been checking the p.o box there's like nothing there um write write letters if you want to do them in like civil war epic style that's even better but yeah somebody do that but also a reminder if you do send us mail let us know that you're sending us mail because We don't check it, the mailbox frequently, so like just like, and it's not it's like it's gonna get sent back unless it's a package mm-hmm. or anything. But just please let us let us know. That'd be very important. Um, I just really like getting mail, you guys. No, totally, absolutely. <laughs> you mean art? You've got mail. <laughs> hey, oh. hey, this oh, guy. You're so hey. weird. Um, That's why I'm we... in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, John Cutting has been one of. I think him and Ellie are our most consistent, or I should say persistent uh, feedbackers. (laughs) So, uh, first of all, in response to when we said raise the Green Lantern and we got crickets, he explained to us um, over Twitter uh, that that was in reference to raise the Red Lantern, which is a great Chinese film. Ah. Uh, He also wanted to add, he loved our Ang Lee episode and was wondering if we were doing another one on Chinese, Taiwanese films. Um, 
he mentioned Ashes of Time, Train, Kung Fu Hustle, Hero. The folklore following these films is actually really fascinating. Um, good point. I would say for me, I'm not as well versed on Asian cinema as I would like to be. So mm-hmm. it would definitely require some research. Yeah, we um, should. But it would, fact, that would be there's a, fun a guy episode. Daniel Lazarus who. Um, uh, who I've been corresponding on Twitter, and he like gave me a whole list of like samurai movies to watch. I oh, like, yeah. that's a topic we've not touched, and we should. Yeah, Dan Lazarus is an old friend. Um, he was actually um, he's actually a friend of Sean's as well, and he is super into Kurosawa movies. Mm. Uh, so um, yeah, in fact, he's got I think he's got the Criterion collection of all of Kurosawa's oh, cool. films. Okay. So, uh, and he's a listener of the show. At least I think he is. He was at one point. Uh, John Cutting also <laughs> gave us some more horrible movie mashups that uh, we have to share. Oh, of course. Uh, so let's start with uh, Undercover Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's great. Uh, this one, a little more obscure, Coming to American Graffiti. <laughs> so coming to America and American, American Graffiti, graffiti. <laughs> that's actually pretty good um, this one was like fuck yes I want to see this from dusk till dawn of the planet of the apes oh my god <laughs> yes uh, fistful of million dollar babies very good <laughs> very good it's like baby um, geniuses but in the west this one I didn't fully get but I, I, I appreciate it uh, Ghost in the Shell Home Alone Complex. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, John, you're going to have to fill us in on that one. You what might was have, it? Uh, Ghost in the Shell Home Alone Complex. So I guess there was shell, a... Shell Home Alone there was, I mean, there was a Ghost in the Shell movie, and like Ghost, the Ghost in the Shell movie was based on a um, an anime. Right. Um, and then I, I don't understand how the two connect, though. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Um, we were Universal Soldiers, <laughs> which I and then over the top gun. Oh, very so, nice. Um, I think of those from Dust Till Dawn, The Planet of the Apes, and Undercover Brother, Where Art Thou, and Coming to American Graffiti. Oh, those my God, are yes. those are gold, sir. So yes. thank you for sharing those. And you know, guys, we love getting these these horrible movie mashups. So please continue to send them your way if you have ideas. Um, please create them, Haley. We're just saying, you know, you come up with some really really great ones. Share them. Right in. She's going to write into the show. We mm. talked. We, mm-hmm. we, I talked to her the other day. Good. Um, good, good, good. She's working on it. She's working on it. Um, if you guys want to be a feedbacker, what you can do is you can either go to neuronomy.com and click on that talk to us link, which will send us an email to all of our personal inboxes. Um, you can also hit us up on social media at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nerdonomy. Just Google at Nerdonomy and you will find it. I promise. By the way, you can also send us a letter and a voicemail. Those are also on Neuronomy.com. And while you're there, you might want to consider throwing us a tiny little donation or, you know, buying a t-shirt. We do still have those available, though we do need to put some new designs up there because some of them, like gymnastics and I'm a delight, like those need to be... <laughs> Piss Lord be... of Moron Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> Piss Lord of Moron Those are like three shirts that we need to make. Those would be, yeah, be a thing now. Um, we should make buttons, too. I if would, only it I wasn't already trademarked by Martin Lawrence, I'd say we should do a DMG and a t-shirt. But I feel <laughs> like, I feel like uh, that would not that would be copyright infringement. Maybe a little Might bit. Be. Just yeah. a little. Um, the most important thing you guys can do, though, I mean, those are all important things, but the most important thing you guys can do is spread the word of nerd and tell your friends and family about our podcast, okay? We love our audience. We want to make it bigger, Okay. Um, Dave, again, thank you so, so much for being back on. Yeah, thanks, um, Dave. 
we will give you an update about our Oscar episode. So we're not sure when we're going to do it this year. We might, usually traditionally, we do the Oscar episode right after the Academy Awards. But to pull the curtain back, um, most of you guys know that I've been pursuing work as an actor. I've also been auditioning for grad school programs. Woo, go Brian. Yeah, yeah. Um, One of those programs has their callbacks that weekend. So I would be traveling. I may not be able to actually be the first year in many, many, many years where I would not be able to watch the entire Oscar ceremony. Kind of heartbreaking. Um, So if that happens, we will have to probably do the Oscars episode later than we usually would like. So, okay, I'm going to call it now. I feel like and I haven't seen the movie, but because of the buzz, I think Call Me By Your Name is going to be the surprise hit. Mm. You think so? I think it's going to be the moonlight of this year. Hmm. I would not be surprised. All right. Uh, all right, guys. It is that time. So until we meet again, stay nerdy and tune into our next exciting episode. Same nerd time, same nerd channel, nerdonomy.com. Bye. Later. Bye. And roll credits. movie quotes you should not say during sex. Oh, Putty Boy going to leave? Uh, yeah, m- maybe. <laughs> 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 uh.